And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show, of course. And it is Thursday, second best day of the week. Uh, last night, Yankees pitcher threw a perfect game, which is a pretty amazing feat for any pitcher in the major league. Of course, also, all the major banks have now pitched a perfect game. Believe it or not, every single bank has now passed the Fed stress test. You know, these are these annual tests that the Federal Reserve puts out for the major banks. And they say, well, based on all these assumptions, you know, surging unemployment or spiking interest rates or whatever, these banks are just fine and they will never have a problem. They've got plenty of capital, of course, as we've said before, it doesn't take much. And eventually, as soon as something happens, we, you know, we have bank failures. And interestingly enough, even Credit Suisse, which was recently bought out of near complete bankruptcy, passed its stress test. So just sleep well, my friends. All the banks are just fine. You have absolutely nothing to worry about in terms of the major banks because they have plenty of capital and they won't need another bailout uh, you know, or bailout facility as we have going on right now because banks have plenty of capital. Um, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> that was kind of headline news yesterday. Anyway, uh, so you know, here's a couple of things. Uh, this morning, Michael Leibowitz to join me to, uh, to catch up a bit here on the Federal Reserve. Uh, we've got the next meeting coming out here fairly soon. Will they, won't they hike interest rates? This is what's got everybody kind of really, you know, on both sides of the fence. The Fed needs to hike rates at this point. Inflation isn't coming down as fast as they would like to see it come down. But then, of course, the markets want rate cuts. And that's what the markets have been continuing to bet on here is that really ever since the October lows, the market has been rallying on this expectation that the Fed is done hiking rates and they're about to start cutting rates. And that's going to provide more monetary accommodation liquidity to the markets. Now, as we've talked about before, the liquidity index itself, which is simply just basically the Fed's balance sheet minus reverse repo and, and the, the Treasury general account, has been rising. And there was a lot of expectations that as soon as the Treasury needed to refund all of their, you know, kind of borrowings uh, during the debt ceiling shutdown, that liquidity would evaporate from the markets and it didn't happen. In fact, liquidity has still, still continued to, to be present in the markets, and that index has continued to be elevated here, which is why kind of what's going on with the markets and why markets continue to elevate because, again, plenty of liquidity in the system. And all of these fears about, you know, oh, the, you know, this is going to be terrible as soon as the bank's got, you know, uh, the Treasury's got to issue this trillion dollars worth of bonds, well, interest rates are just going to go surging through the roof because there's no buyers, and yet, They've been issuing $600, $700 billion worth of bonds and the market's buying them up just as fast as they can get them. And as we've talked about before, it's simply a function that money market demand is through the roof right now. Everybody's throwing their money into 5% money market accounts going, well, you know, it's safe, it's liquid, it's there, and I'm going to you know, take advantage of it. And of course, the more money that goes into money market accounts, the more demand there is for short-term bills, which is what the Treasury's been issuing. So all these fears right, that everybody was, keeps coming up with is like, oh, well, this is going to crater the market because this is going to happen. This is going to crater the market because that's going to happen. 
that hasn't happened. The market just continues to kind of climb this wall of worry and continues to perform well. And the expectation now, of course, is that we're, we've now passed the kind of the, the nadir of the economic trough and things should start to begin to improve here. But then again, saying that, that's what the markets think. The markets are looking for, a, for better economic growth and better earnings, but yet yield curves, leading indicators, economic indicators across the board all suggest that a recession is still coming. So who's right? Right? This is the big challenge that we have with the markets and something Mike and I will get into a little bit more this morning. Mike just posted an article yesterday talking about uh, inverted yield curves and, and recessions and what that means. So we'll talk a little, bit, uh, a little bit more on that in length. But again, this is the conundrum, right? This is the challenge that we have in the markets trying to navigate all of these emotional fears that we have. And look, they're emotional fears, but they are, they are backed by data. And the, you know, this is always one of the big problems in the markets is that bulls have these cases based on expectation. Bears have these cases based on facts, but you know, who's right? And this is always the problem with investing and trying to navigate markets over time. But that's, that's where we are. So we'll get into that this morning. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning because markets yesterday started off a little bit weak and then opened up and went rallying pretty strongly into about midday and then completely sold off about midday. Um, this, and even though the markets ended flat yesterday, the markets actually were, were slightly positive on the day from where they opened. So we have a green candle here. But again, really coming off that 20-day moving average, that support level holding this morning. Futures are looking to point higher. NASDAQ's up about 50 points. Dow's up about 100 points right now. So again, futures are suggesting markets are going to open up you know, a little bit stronger this morning. We'll see um, if this 20-day moving average can hold. The threat here, and I shouldn't say the threat, but the issue is, of course, we still have uh, two days left for portfolio rebalancing to get us through. Uh, the end of the, the first half of the year. So again, how we open up this morning and how we end could be two very different things. But right now, we're still on this sell signal. That's the thing to keep paying attention to historically, what that suggests. It doesn't mean that prices, and when you're on a sell signal, it doesn't mean prices have to decline sharply. As we saw back earlier this year, we spent a very long time on a sell signal that basically the market just literally went nowhere. So markets can either consolidate or they can decline. And that's what this sell signal is suggesting is that upside is probably fairly limited right now. We might have 100 points of upside, but the risk is as we head into later this summer is we've got about two to 300 points of downside. So the risk reward in the market right now really isn't there. And if we get do get a correction, five to 10, as we've said before, five to 10% corrections are completely normal within any, any given year. We've had a year of exceptionally low volatility as we were discussing yesterday. And so a correction of five to 10% here would not be surprising at all. And that would actually give you a much better risk reward entry point for that kind of end of the year push that you typically get from October to December. So some type of corrective action this summer should be expected. Doesn't mean it has to happen. Uh, we've had years where markets have had no correction at all, basically. I mean, the worst correction we had was maybe one or 2%. But there, there is a risk here of a bit of a correction this summer as 
you know, kind of this exuberance in the market starts to have to align with earnings season. And that's then that's what could be the trigger here. Now, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to get back into earnings season. Apple, Microsoft, Facebook, they've got high benchmarks now in terms of their hurdle rate for those earnings. So keep a watch on that. That could be the trigger. But that's the thing to keep a watch on. So that's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Now, coming back after the break, I'll pick up with Michael Leibowitz and we will talk a little bit about Treasury yield curves, what's going on with the markets and the economy, and of course, what's going to be up with the Fed. That's coming up on the rest of the Real Investment Show this morning. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Take your question. Uh, no, not. We have Mike this morning. Sorry. A little bit of a throwback to last week. Um, Mike Lee was joining me this morning to talk a little bit about, we got to play catch up. Mike was on vacation last week, so we really didn't get an opportunity to talk about the latest Fed meeting, what was said. And of course, uh, we've had just a you know plethora of Fed speakers as of late, just over the last few days. Jerome Powell was speaking in Spain this morning, uh, but we had uh, Bostic, I believe, uh, speaks later on today. We've had several others speaking earlier this week. Um, again, you know, the, the big question is, is what's going to happen next? Markets don't seem to care too much, right? Markets have pretty much discounted the Fed at this point almost entirely. Um, if you take a look at back at where the markets were or, or are now versus where they were in March of last year when the Fed started hiking rates, the markets have basically recovered every single one of the rate hikes. So all the decline that the market had last year because the Fed was hiking rates has been completely reversed. And as we talked about before, it's a kind of an interesting thing because this is exactly not what the Fed really wants because rising asset prices lead to increases in consumer confidence, which was what we see happening now. That encourages consumption, which potentially uh, keeps inflation stickier than what the Fed wants. So, so it's kind of an interesting challenge the Fed faces. The market's been discounting the Fed entirely now for several months. The question is, is who's ultimately going to be right? And, and this was kind of a topic of Mike's uh, article yesterday, which is on the website, talking about Treasury yield curves. Is this time different? Because we do have all these in inversions in yield curves. Uh, the indicator that we use internally, which tracks 10 economically sensitive yield curves, or 100% of them are inverted, which has always preceded a recession, bar none, ever, right? And this just tells you kind of what the, the yield curve market's telling us, but yeah, we haven't had a recession, and the market's now discounting a recession entirely, expecting earnings to begin to increase. So, Mike, um, you know, it is kind of a very interesting conundrum here between what the Fed says they're trying to achieve and what the market's hearing, um, who's right? Well, I, I think it's important to just look at the fundamentals of our economy. And our economy is built on debt. We're a very leveraged economy. So individuals, corporations, and the government rely on debt for growth. Not, not 100% of the growth, but a good chunk of economic growth is based on debt. <laughs> 
And that's the reason why the Fed and the market have been lowering interest rates literally for the last 30 years. They've been trending lower. And the result is that of that is that more and more individuals, companies and the government have become more reliant on debt. So there's kind of two aspects to that. The first aspect is new debt. So when you go buy a car or a house or a company borrows money to spend on something or the government borrows money to to spend on a project that creates economic activity. So that's one aspect of debt is new debt and how much economic activity can it generate. There's a second aspect, though, too, and that's the the debt that's already existing that gets rolled over. So unlike you, when you pay off a car, you don't necessarily pay off the car and just get a new car. But most companies, the U.S. government and a decent amount of individuals, when their debt matures, they they basically issue new debt. So if a company, if IBM took out a loan in 2000, 2000, or I'm sorry, 2020, 2021, they very easily could be paying two or three percent on that. If that matures today, they have to reissue that debt and the, the new interest rate could be five, six or seven percent. So as debt matures, the effects of rate hikes take effect. Uh, and that's what that's part of what the lag effect is. So when you really think about our economy and it's reliant and it's not just our economy, it's the, the global economy. Most most major industrial countries are in very similar shoes. The level of interest rates matter, not just because of new new debt be, that's more expensive, but existing debt, all the all the debt outstanding will likely a good chunk of it will likely get rolled over. The question is when. So it takes a while for interest rate hikes to have a, an effect on the economy. But considering how much more debt there is today than even in 2019, the interest rates and the role they play in economic activity is more, not less than it was. Now, what makes this time a little unique or different is the amount of stimulus that was handed out in 2020, 2021, and even through very recently. Student loans are just having to be repaid now. They've basically had a three-year hiatus. So, so there was a lot of stimulus that was offsetting rising interest rates. And again, rising interest rates take a while. Not all debt matures the day that interest rates are increased. So what, what I concerned myself with is this disconnect between the market and just the fundamental underpinnings of the economy and how important interest rates are. And Lance, like you said, the market is discounting the Fed, right? The, the, the bond market is pricing in what the Fed is telling them. And I think that's where it gets a little interesting. So right now, the Fed funds, Fed funds futures are basically saying, we believe you, Jerome, you're going to raise rates, maybe another 25 basis points, possibly a little bit more than that. But you're going to keep them here for a while. If you look at uh, June Fed funds futures for next year, so where does the market think that Fed funds will be a year from now? It's about 4.8%. So the market's basically saying, that you're going to drop interest rates, maybe 25 basis points, maybe a little bit more between now and a year from now. That's the higher longer, higher for longer narrative the Fed, the Jerome Powell and every Fed member have been pushing. It's like we're just going to keep rates very high until we we 
uh, see a slowdown in the economy and ultimately inflation. So the, it's interesting, the, the bond market kind of buys into it, but the stock market is saying it doesn't matter. Interest rates don't matter. Consumption will keep going, whether it's corporate, uh, federal, or consumers. And history has proven time and time again that's not true. But the question is, when will these lag effects, when will higher interest rates really start weighing on the economy? And yesterday, Powell spoke. Powell speaks again today. Bostic actually said a few words this morning. And I thought what Powell said was very interesting. He said, we've come a long way, but there's a lot more that's coming. And, you know, at first blush, you may look at it and say, wow, they're going to raise rates a lot more. That's not really what he's saying. And he's been pretty clear about that. What he's really saying is a lot of what we did last year is just starting to work through the system. Again, they didn't first hike rates until March of 2022. So it's only been 15 months. And even in March 22, they barely raised them. You know, and if you go, you go back and look, interest rates were low up until a good till the second half of last year. So you know, I think we just have to wait and see how these interest rates affect things. And the market, as long as interest rates aren't affecting affecting economic activity and earnings, the market will do what it wants to do. But at some point, I feel like it's almost like gravity. Interest rates will affect the market. And that, but you know, the, the hard part with investing is that could start happening tomorrow, but it could also start happening three, six, nine months from now. And you get back to the stimulus, that's where that stimulus has such a big effect. And it's outsized stimulus and, and odd or unusual uh, consumer behaviors. So there's a, lot, there's a lot that's going on. And the market, like you said, is discounting it. And maybe it should for the next few more months, because it could be a while until these interest rates really start wrecking havoc on the economy. And maybe the Fed will come in and lower rates quickly to try to offset that as well. But unfortunately, this, the economy that we've built for the last 200 years, and especially the last 30 years, is based on debt. And this interest rate, these interest rate hikes are a huge tax on the economy. We just haven't, it's not April 15th yet. We don't have to pay it yet. Well, it's it's interesting, you know, that's you know, that's a pretty dire picture that you lay out there and you know, it's gonna wreck economic havoc and all the and oh. you know you know, nomenclatures and but it's interesting the market isn't expecting that. And right. you know, we've had fifteen months of negative, you know, economic activity. So has the havoc already happened? Um, you know, or you know, because it's not like we're going into this running at two percent plus, you know, solid GDP growth like we had over the last decade. You know, economic growth has been declining now for the last, you know, four quarters. In fact, we went from 12% growth to less than 2% growth. So there's already been pretty significant economic damage put into the economy, which has impacted earnings. Um, so how much more is there to go? That's that's the question, right? So when you talk about economic havoc, what does that actually mean? Well, well and I, havoc's maybe a strong word, but, you know, we're still growing. A recession is negative growth, or, right. you know, a decline. But, so, but here's so, but here's my yes, question though, Mike. If, it's if normalized, you, right? But if 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 you were at twelve percent economic growth and you go to zero, that's a twelve percent decline. If you're at two, and go to negative ten, that's a recession, right? So well, two how, to minus two is a recession. Well, I understand that, but you've had 
a, a t- near 10% decline in the economy from the peak. So is that not enough to but you have, it. have the, the yeah, the you, were at 12%, you, were at 12, you were at 12% nominal economic growth two years ago, uh, a year and a half ago, coming out of the, the pandemic stimulus. So we had this huge spike in nominal GDP growth, which has now been reversed. So, you know, have, has has the economic damage of that contraction already occurred? I would say it hasn't contracted. And you're also talking nominal, which includes inflation. We had 9%, 10% inflation sure. as well. Absolutely. But the dollar amount of economic activity has risen, except for a couple quarters last year, has risen steadily. Yeah. So a recession is when the dollar amount of economic activity actually declines. There you go. That's that's the right answer. All right, quick break. We'll come back. We're going to pick up a little bit more on this. Of course, um, the question is, what do the markets do next? Uh, Because, again, markets have been discounting all of this. And this is going to be the real question is to, you know, kind of the key to what happens next in the markets and the economy. We'll talk about that after the break. Don't go away. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. There's just an interesting stat this morning. We were talking about uh, congratulating uh, Domingo German for pitching the perfect game last night for the Yankees. Uh, that is only the fourth. This was an interesting stat. Uh, this is only the fourth perfect game pitched by the Yankees since 1956. Don Larson pitched it in 1956. David Wells in 1998. David Cohn in 1999. So apparently your first name has to start with the letter D to pitch a perfect game. So congratulations to Domingo for pitching a perfect game last night for the Yankees. I just thought that was interesting. Everybody's name started with a D in four perfect games. So there you go. See, exciting stuff happens everywhere, even in sports. <laughs> so we have no future in baseball. We have no future. Well, you're names. never going to pitch a perfect game, Mike. That's for sure. Not at least, at least not for the Yankees, anyway. Um, <laughs> so um, markets again um, rallying very strongly here. Expectations are that earnings are. You know, we're about to start off uh, the second quarter earnings season next week. Uh, markets have been doing very well this year. Up 10%, more than 10% for the first half of the year. Historically, every year that we've had going back to 1954, where the markets have started up the first half of the year up 10%, they've finished up more than 10% more in the last half of the year. So, in other words, very strong gains slated for the markets for the rest of this year based on seasonal statistics or historical statistics. Doesn't mean we can't get a, a little bit of a pullback or a correction here, but. Um, that's been something that the market has really not been wanting to do this year very much is, is pull back. You know, we spent almost a month and a half literally going nowhere. The market's traded absolutely sideways for almost an entire month, or actually over an entire month, um, before kind of this latest little run higher. But all this is based on expectations that earnings troughed in the fourth quarter. 
earnings were a little bit better than uh, fourth quarter earnings in the first quarter. So they've, they did start to rise, and now earnings are expected to increase uh, fairly decently for the second quarter as the economy gets back on track. And, and this, is, this is the dichotomy that we were talking about before the break, which is, you know, you're talking about yield curves and recessions and economic havoc, and the market is pricing in better earnings and better economic growth. So who's right here? All right. So I'm going to go back to the article. Yeah. Uh, just a few points that I think are worth making. The first is, how does money, money gets lent, money's created via the banks. And when banks have an incentive to lend, they lend. And as we know, debt, debt creates growth. The more debt there is, the more growth that it generates, at least initially. So right now, the banks are, first of all, they're losing deposits. And that's still going on, even though it's much less than it was when uh, Silicon Valley and other banks were struggling. So they can, they really, the deposit base is really what allows them to lend money. That kind of sets the bar for lending. But there's a second bar, and that's how profitable is lending. And when you, and banks, banks tend to lend short or borrow short and lend long. So what that means is they borrow your deposits and at most banks that's still, you know, somewhere between zero and 2% and they lend it. And when the yield curve is inverted, that means their borrowing rate is going up and their lending rate on all the loans they've already made is fixed. And that eats into their profitability. So banks, the incentive for banks to lend is really low right now. And there's a graph of a proxy profitability for banks, which is at its 30-year lows right now. And uh, this isn't a secret because we see it in bank lending standards. Bank lending standards are tightening significantly. And it's not just because they're losing deposits. It's because of the profitability. So so there's that that critical aspect in the role that banks play in the economy. Here's something else. I, I put a table in the article, and it's how much extra in interest expense as a percentage of GDP does the economy pay per 1% higher interest rates? And I compare current 2023 to 2000. And just listen to some of these numbers. Federal debt in 2000 was almost a quarter, 25% of GDP. Now it's almost one and a quarter, or 125% of GDP. State, local, municipal debt was 5%. It's now about 15%. Individuals were about 0.30. It's now getting close to 1%. And corporate debt was under 0.20%. It's now 0.50%. So the the amount of debt as a percentage of GDP has gone up anywhere from, you know, two, three, four times. As a result, every 1% increase in interest rates, which affected the economy by about 0.75, was 0.75% of GDP, is now 2.75% of GDP. For every 1%, rates have gone up, you know, short rates have gone up 5%, longer rates have gone up a few percent. So. You know, again, what I think this really comes down to is when does this affect the economy? And one thing we do know is that it's not the yield curve inversion that really triggers the economy. It's the uninversion. So what I'm basically saying is that 
right now we're in an inverted yield curve. So the rate on short-term money is higher than the rate on long-term money, right? The three-month rate is over 5%, and a 10-year rate is four, six, uh, 360, 370, whatever it is, right? Well, what tends to happen is the curve uninverts. So short-term rates tend to fall much more rapidly than long-term rates. So if the long the 10-year rate stays at 370, an uninversion means that the very short-term rates would come down below 370, which should improve the economic environment because now banks are more incented to lend. But what we what we have found out over the years is that once a curve inverts, it takes about 16 months on average, and that doesn't include 2020 because that was in a particularly uh, odd event. It takes 16 months for a recession to start. It's been 12 months. Um, even more fascinating, I, over, I went back and in September of 2022, Fed funds were only two and a half percent. So not that long ago, rates weren't that low. So it just takes, you know, again, the lag effects take a while. And while I'm not, I don't want to seem, you know, like extremely dire here. What I do want want everyone to understand is just to respect the lag effects and that these lag effects will probably be a little laggier or take a little while than is typical. But the effect on the economy is fundamental. It's basic. It's math. It's a question of when does it filter through and how much stimulus can offset it. Um, and it's quite possible that stimulus will offset a decent amount of it and we get a soft landing or we get a no landing. Uh, but but don't you know, don't say just because we haven't seen anything yet that the Fed raising rates by you know five percent in a little more than a year, which is twice the rate they've done since 1980, will have no effect. I find that very hard to believe, and I think it's you know it doesn't mean sell all your stocks and hide in a bunker at all. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that there will be economic weakness. That's what Powell said yesterday. That's what Bostic is saying today. Just respect the lag. Yeah, and that's and that's something that uh, you know Powell was talking about this morning with his speech in Spain, saying you know that you know expect two more rate hikes to come because inflation isn't coming down as fast as they want. That is their that is their you know dragon that they're trying to slay, and they're gonna keep, they're gonna keep pushing on that until you know they get some type of of you know impact that inflation is coming down. On a, on a steady trajectory back towards 2%. And that's certainly not the case. You know, as, as you and I have talked about before, we're about to pass that that point where, you know, last year at this time we were having 1%, 1.2% jumps in inflation. We're about to start getting back into very low periods of inflationary rises, which are going to make the year-over-year -year comparisons much much more difficult. And, and if... Inflation kind of kept, just keeps ticking along here at 0.2%, 0.1%. Inflation is actually potentially going to start to rise a little bit. And that's going to be you know problematic for the Fed as well. And, and, and they, they know that. They know how this math works. And that's part of this lag effect that, you know, Jerome Powell is talking about is that, you know, there's, you know, there's a real concern that inflation starts to reaccelerate. And, and because the markets are doing exactly the opposite of what they should do right now, and encouraging consumer activity by increasing the wealth effect, that's going to make this inflationary problem potentially even stickier for the Fed. Right, right. Yeah. And look, the Fed has more tools. 
The Fed has over and over again, Bernanke kind of championed this 20 odd years ago or so, that the stock market has a big effect on consumption, that when the stock market's doing well, consumers want to spend, uh, companies want to invest more and so forth. So they know that the stock market had a big effect on the economy and ultimately inflation. So, you know, they could make a statement like Greenspan made in, what was that, 1997, mm -hmm. uh, where he kind of took the sale out of the market's wind, for the, the wind out of the market sale for, you know, a few months. Yeah, he's um, a strategic, he works like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like when away. I stop him. I like when I stop him and I completely get him off track. <laughs> it's okay. All right, get your thoughts. took the wind out of my thoughts. <laughs> um, but, you know, one thing they could do is increase QT. They, you know, they, there are other things they can do to kind of, they don't want the market to drop like a rock, but they want the market to stop contributing. Yeah. So that's a wild card they have in their back pocket. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think the Fed wants to raise rates anymore. I, I think they would really like to keep them here because they're scared to death of the lag effects. If they've already over tightened and they're still tightening and these, the tightening, you know, from the next meeting in July doesn't affect us till December or March of next year, they're just creating problems for themselves in the future. Yeah. But but the good news is, Mike, is that all the banks, including Credit Suisse, passed their stress test. So whatever that the Fed does, we're certainly not going to have another bank problem. Be right back after the break. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You know, another kind of uh, interesting thing that's occurring in the markets and this kind of goes along with what Mike's talking about is you know last year and really heading into the first part of this year there was a lot of positioning a lot of conversation about the death of the dollar and you've got to own gold in your portfolio and gold was making a, a, a valiant run towards 2000 diamonds were rising sharply in price and in fact, there were people starting to put together ETFs for you know diamond ownership, et cetera. So you could you know buy diamonds and buy gold and these these precious kind of precious commodities and metals. And the concern, of course, was that to Mike's point, right? You're going to have this economic recession. You're going to have all these things occur that are bad. The dollar is going to decline sharply. And as always tends to be the case, you know, those things, you know, those those kind of end of the world scenarios, you know, rarely work out. And it's been interesting to watch. Because diamond prices have absolutely collapsed and they've they've fallen sharply. They're they're down sixty percent roughly from their peak, sixty, seventy percent from their peak. Gold prices have fallen from two thousand back to nineteen hundred and they've been on a steady decline now for the last couple of months. Not surprising because again, there's no fear in the markets. And and you know, precious metals, commodities, those type of things, they typically tend to be uh, a reflection of a fear trade in a lot of cases. And there is no fear in the markets, right? It's all about AI now. Uh, lots of then you know, consumer uh, investor confidence has surged back to very high levels now, 
that's feeding in. And again, as, as we were talking about earlier, that surge in investor confidence is feeding over into consumer confidence, right? I feel a lot better about the markets. I feel better about my portfolio. My portfolio is going up in value. I have more money. And now we're seeing consumer confidence turn up, which typically leads economic growth turning up and getting stronger. See, this is the conundrum, right, that we're talking about. Consumer confidence is improving, which tends to lead economic growth improving, which leads to a better stock market outcome, which is not what the Fed wants. But then that flies right in the face of the economic data, things like inverted yield curves, et cetera, which says that everybody else is wrong and, you know, recession and, and weaker economic growth is coming. So this is this is the challenge for managing money. Right. This is this is the hard part. Um, you know, you you know, when you look at some of the data, it's like, man, I, I don't want to be in the, in the financial markets at all. I mean, it's, it's about to come to an end. And then you take a look at the things that are typically denoting market fear, those type of things. And, and those are all performing poorly now and markets are improving. So, Mike, this is the this is the big challenge managing money. You know, they, we, on one side, we have some kind of hard data and facts, historical records that we can go back to and look at. It says that when this occurs, this this typically tends to follow. And yet the market's saying, I don't believe you at all. So how do you navigate that type of a market? Well, you have to, you know, you have to invest for today, not what's going to happen three, six, nine months from now. And today the market is bullish. The market is very bullish coming off those October lows. Where above all our key moving averages, the sentiment is strong. You know, there are some breadth issues and there, there are certainly some things that technicians can poke holes in. But but bottom line is the market is on pretty firm ground here. And until some of those lag effects start leaking in, until we see jumps in the unemployment rate or, you know, today we get jobless claims, which have been drifting higher until we see concrete signs that interest rates are starting to affect the economy, starting to affect earnings. The market will probably drift higher because that's what the market does. The market drifts higher, except for, you know, as a percentage, we are very few instances when the market actually trends lower. You know, two thirds of the time it's going higher, if mm -hmm. probably three quarters of the time. Yep. So the market's doing what markets do and the market may continue to trend higher for a while. You know, what we want you to be aware of is that the economic environment will deteriorate. Again, we don't know by how much or when or how severe, but that will affect corporate earnings. But we're investing for today. We can't be investing for March of 2024. When we get to March of 2024, we'll figure that out. We'll figure out how the economy's doing, how these la what's going on with these lag effects. But we have to take the market as, as it is right now. And there's, you know, the market's kind of giving us a gift too. Even if you are very bearish, the market, as we said, is sitting above key moving averages and some key trend lines. All of those moving averages and trend lines can are are important levels and are what we would call risk levels. So they're, you know, as if the market starts declining, as it hits those levels, those are warning signs. If, you know, if you want, you can take some risk off the table. You can sell some equities. You can move to more conservative equities. You can add to your bond portfolio. So it, the market's kind of in a very nice situation here in that it's providing you some some reasonable risk levels to manage your risk. But at the same time, and it's in a nice uptrend, 
that's worth being invested in. Yeah, you know, and 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 that's the kind of the conundrum, right? And and here's the here's the 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 issue with all of this. So let's assume we get a year from now, um, and the lag effect hasn't kicked in, right? Unemployment still, you know, three point five percent, three point eight percent, whatever. When will we know when we're past the lag effect, right? Um, let's just assume this time is entirely different for just the sake of argument. This time is entirely different, and all these rate hikes don't affect the economy. Everything is just fine. When will we actually know when we're out of the woods? And, and, and yes, it's all a question of hindsight. We'll, we'll get out here two years from now and look back and go, yeah, everything was fine. We just didn't know it then. But when are we going to start to know, you know when this lag effect is behind us? And more importantly, this is, I think, comes down to a problem that the Federal Reserve faces. And I think the market in, in particular, because the market's been rallying on expectation of rate cuts. And again, I can't, you know, Jerome Powell has talked about cutting rates when it's appropriate again markets are expecting them to almost immediately cut rates so if they hike one the the, the market sentiment right now is markets going to hike uh, the fed will hike one more time in july potentially and then that'll be it and then they'll be cutting rates shortly thereafter uh, as soon as we get into 2024 but again i keep coming back to this whole premise that if the economy's doing just fine, if unemployment remains low, if inflation's declining, why would the Fed cut rates? I, I don't, I, I can't see what would be the catalyst for them to cut rates because they're not going to do it just to make the markets happy. Right, they'll do it because inflation is back to two or below two percent. But if inflation gets that low, it's likely because the economy's slowing. So I, I agree with you. I'm not sure that the Fed will cut rates materially if if things don't weaken, right. which means the yield curve stays inverted, which means that banks have no incentive to lend. And I actually just saw that banks spent more in interest expense than they made last quarter. Right. Well, so, but, so but, bank but go back to that real quick, because it's, it's, it's an important point. If the if inflation drifts lower back to two percent, right, just because of the year over year comparisons, um, you know, we're clicking along, we're doing 0.2% uh, a month and, you know, CPI growth, that's 2.4% a year, close enough for, for math. Um, but it's just drifting lower because of year-over-year -year comparisons. Again, inflation at 2% just because it's at its target. If I'm the Fed, I wouldn't necessarily be cutting rates. I mean, I would keep interest rates as high as possible until I actually had a recession, right? Or something, or a, or a right. bank crisis. Let's see, well, we're never going to have another bank crisis because the banks passed their stress test, so that's all fine. But if we have a recession, right. I'd want to have 5% interest rates in my pocket to cut, right? Right. I mean, think about it. Right now, mortgage rates are close, you know, between 6 and 7%. If the Fed just cut rates to zero today, mortgage rates could be back to 3 to 4%. Think about what that would do to just the housing market. And if you're trying to to stem off or to offset a steep decline in economic activity, that'll do it. Yeah. Housing is a huge part of this economy. And that, even a small we just had a small downtick in mortgage rates and housing housing purchases and new homes right. construction starts all jumped with a small right. downtick. I mean, there's so much pent up demand for houses right now that any small downtick. So you're right, if they cut rates to zero, the housing market's going to explode. So so there's we actually wrote a lot about that in the commentary this week a few different times. New housing, new house demand is is strong and housing starts and housing permits are strong. Some of that is cuz existing home sales are almost non-existing at this point. No right. one wants to sell their used home 
so there is a lot of pent up demand, but I think there's also a lot of pent up supply. People that have low mortgages that just can't afford to sell because if whatever they buy would end up being a 6% mortgage instead of a 3% mortgage. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. You could have you drop rates to zero, all of a sudden you have a flood of supply at the market and it actually potentially causes the housing crash, right? Right, right. That I hadn't thought about that. That's a, that's actually a really good point. Uh, Got to wrap up the show for the day, of course. Mike, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it as always. Uh, a couple of things importantly, though. Get by the website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Mike's late, that article we were going through today is on the website right now. It's right there at the top of the page. Just click the Insights tab. It's actually on the homepage as well. Um, but if you want to see all the, the relevant charts and graphics that go along with that article, um, it's on the website right now, realinvestmentadvice.com. While you're there, also send us your questions, your comments. If you need help, we're always happy to help you. Um, as well. Uh, latest newsletter will be out this weekend also, so make sure you're subscribed to get our both our daily market commentary, which will be out here in just a few minutes, um, and also our weekly newsletter. So subscribe. Those are two separate email lists. Make sure you subscribe to the one that you want, but we do provide market commentary every single day at 7.30 sharp Central Time, so you get it an hour before the market opens so you can prep for the day. All right, that wraps up the show for the day. Uh, Rich, uh, Richard Rosso will not be here tomorrow. It'll be Danny Ratliff and guest tomorrow uh, helping you out here on Friday with your financial planning needs. So stick around for that show tomorrow. All right. Have a great day. We'll see you back here next week. It's a real investment show.